0: Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Northridge Church. Um, Whether you're in the room or you're online, we're just glad that you carved out a little bit of time for you to spend this Part of the day, this part of the weekend with us worshiping God together. So, uh, just really glad you're here today. Um, So, we are starting uh, a brand new series today, and it kind of feels weird, doesn't it? Like, we don't have yes banners right in your face. They're over there still. Like, they're still in the room. They're subtle, right? But uh, we're still here, and it kind of feels weird not to have like yes and balloons and all kinds of stuff. Like, we had to move on, but we haven't really moved on because this is going to be two years in the making, right? And so we're going to be in this for a while. You're going to hear about it from time to time, but we have to move on. And so we're starting a brand new series today, very simply called Troth. Now, I don't know about you, but man, we use that word all the time, don't we, in our modern vernacular, right? Okay, no, we don't. You know why we don't? Because it's a medieval word uh, that we don't really use anymore, So if you were to look this word up in the dictionary, whatever dictionary, online, Webster's, Miriam, whatever you do, if you look up this word, the word very simply means this. It means to be faithful. Specifically, the word troth means uh, it's, it's faithfulness. It's kind of like a promise between two entities, two people, if you will, That have made a promise to each other to be devoted, to be faithful, to be committed, to be all in. It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way. Troth means that you have two entities that have made a promise to one another. For example, have you heard of the word betrothed? It actually uses that word in the meaning. So if somebody is betrothed, how many of you said, well, I just got betrothed last weekend. No, you probably don't say that. We don't say that anymore. But we have heard the word, haven't we? We've heard of people being betrothed. What does it mean? It means that somebody made a promise to somebody else to spend the rest of their life, to be faithful to them, to the rest of their life. And the other person made the same promise back. They're betrothed. It wasn't a one-way promise. It's a two-way promise. Right? They're betrothed to one another. Well, today we start this brand new series and this is what we're going to talk about. God has made promises to you to be faithful to you, to be loyal, to be dedicated, to be all in for you. God has made tons of promises to you to be faithful. But it's not a one-way street, is it? God also requires that we, in turn, make promises back to God, that we choose to be faithful to God. God is already choosing to be faithful to us. The question is, what's our promise back to God? And so that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. We're going to talk about the promises of God, and we're going to talk about what our promises back to God would look like in that case. All right, so So we as a church, we have just come off this, Pastor Nick already mentioned this, we've just come off this amazing mountaintop experience, not just because we built a mountain, Uh, Jim Hanquist did an amazing job, Uh, but because we have had this amazing thing where we've been going through this spiritual journey, we fasted, we prayed together, we prayed at the same time. I don't know about you, but my phone still goes off at 316 p.m. And, and so I'm still praying. I'm still doing it. I'm like, man, I can't give that up. That's not, that's just, I don't feel like, I don't feel right about giving it up. And so until God says, give it up, I'm going to keep doing it. And so we've been doing this. We've been on this mountaintop experience. God has been doing some amazing things. Last Sunday was amazing. I mean, just look at the mountain. It's full of tokens. Some of you put some tokens on this morning. You made some commitments this morning or you made some commitments from afar. Some of you did that. You're like, hey, we just wanted you to know we sent it in, but we couldn't do the token. I was like, that's okay. We're still going to have it. You can clip it on next week. Oh, okay, good. We have all these things that have been happening. I would invite you, Pastor Nick said, check it out, check it out. And there's some cool little prayers and, and messages and things like that that some people wrote. Really, really cool. God has been doing some amazing things, and we're going to keep this open. And Pastor Nick said, actually, through today, the truth is it's actually open for two years. Seriously, you're going to hear about it for the next two years. Not all the time. It's not going to be out there. I mean, we, honestly, our staff would be dead if we brought the mountain out for two years every single Sunday. We're just, we're not going to do that. But you will see it from time to time. We're going to bring it back out. And Remember, we're doing this. So for two years, it's open. So if you were not prepared to, you know, make some kind of a commitment to pray or to sacrifice financially, whatever, you can keep doing that. Like for two years, it's open. Now, if you want to be counted for reveal Sunday, you need to get it in either today or pretty soon because we're going to, we, we can't, you know, we're going to count it up or we're going to kind of prepare. We're going to reveal that next Sunday. Okay, so next Sunday is a big, big deal in the life of our church. We're going to tell everything that God did. And I'll just say this. God did some amazing things. It's going to be a good day. It's not going to be like a wah wah reveal. <laughs> Let's be honest. Some of us are thinking it, right? You're kind of like, how big's the reveal going to be, though? <laughs> like, is it a good reveal or a? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good reveal. God moved in amazing ways. And the truth is. It's going to be hard to have time to reveal everything, actually. That's the truth. And so we're going to spend actually just a short time next Sunday. Next Sunday was was going to look somewhat normal, although we're going to have pastries and coffee and all that stuff in here. And we're going to do, it's going to be different, so that's going to be awesome. But we're going to have a great Sunday. So make sure you're here, you don't want to miss it next Sunday. So we've come off this mountaintop experience, but here's my question today. What happens after the mountain? We just had this amazing experience. God has been doing some things. We fasted. We prayed. We were writing in the spiritual guidebook. A lot of you were journaling. My kids even did it. Woo! It's big. Like, they wrote in the book. They actually wrote, oh, this is awesome. I'd, I'd, I'd walk by and say goodnight, and they'd be like, they'd, they'd be writing in the book. I'm like, yeah, you guys are awesome. I love you, not just because of this, but I love you anyway. So, but this is awesome we have had a mountaintop experience, but what happens after the mountain? What should we expect now going forward after we've had this amazing experience with God? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about that today because it would be easy to come off the mountain and feel a little bit of a letdown, right? Some of you want me to have the stools up here and tell more stories. Some of you are like, that would be really good. Now we have to deal with Brent again. Okay? Right? It feels weird. It's like we've been on this mountain and now what, well, how should we feel? How should we think about this? And so the question is, what happens after the mountain? Well, here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along or on your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 25. That's where we're going to be. It'll be on the screen when we get there. But Exodus chapter 25 is where we're going to be. And I want to answer the question, what happens after the mountain, by telling you a story about the Israelites and what happened after the mountain for them. Okay, so we're going to get into that. So let me give you the context. So the Israelite nation is being led by a guy named Moses. Moses is leading them. He's just led them out of slavery in Egypt. Big deal. And so they are a free nation, about a million people, and they're traveling into the wilderness. And to do that, they had God part the Red Sea miraculously so they could walk across on dry land. The whole nation of Israel gets on the other side, and then the Egyptian army decides to chase them through the Red Sea. And you know what God does? God lets the water back. Egyptian army gone. Because they were going to kill the Israelites or drag them back to slavery. God had to wipe them out. Miracle. Amazing. I don't know about you, but when you see that, like water parts for you, you go through, (coughs) wipes out the army that's trying to take you out. You kind of go, okay, God, I'll I'll listen. I'm good. This is an amazing thing. But now they've got a million people in the desert, in the wilderness. And so the next thing God does is he miraculously makes water come from a rock. Oh, that's pretty cool. But now they have to eat. And so God miraculously provides manna from heaven. So all of these things are happening. The Israelites are having this amazing thing. They've never seen God do any of this before, but he's been showing up miracle after miracle after miracle. They're on this amazing mountaintop experience, just like we've come off of with the Yes campaign, with the Yes journey. This amazing mountaintop experience. And then the Israelites get to a literal mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. And they come to this Mount Sinai, this this mountain, and uh, God tells Moses, I want you to climb the mountain. I like this part. This is the story where I'm like, ooh, get to climb a mountain. I love mountains. And so Moses has to climb the mountain and God says, I want to meet with you on top of the mountain. And so Moses climbs the mountain, and God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back down the mountain. By the way, Moses had to climb the mountain to hear from God and then come back down. Then he had to climb it again, and then he came back, then he climbs again. I wonder if Moses is like, uh, God, did you just need me to work out? Or like, like, what's going on here? And so Moses climbs the mountain. God says, Moses, I want you to tell the people this. They need to prepare themselves spiritually for what I'm about to do. They need to prepare themselves. And so we're going to set some boundaries. They're going to fast from some normal life activities that they normally would do, but they're going to have to say no to it for a while. Does this sound familiar at all, what we just did? We just all did that, didn't we? We fasted from food. We fasted from comfort items. Some of you fasted from hot showers. That was awesome, by the way. Some of you fasted from negativity. Some of you fasted from media. Some of you fasted from your social network of choice. Some of you went through withdrawals off of that. But God says, I need you to prepare yourselves for what I'm about to do. This is just exactly what we had done. Now, what happens next? What happens after the people begin to prepare themselves? Well, I want to take you to Exodus 25. This is what God says to Moses to tell the people. Listen to what he says. Exodus 25, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, now tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to author with them. Remember we talked about the Yes campaign? We said whatever God says say yes to, say yes to that. That's exactly what God is saying to Moses to tell the people. Whatever I am asking them to sacrifice, their heart's going to be moved. Just accept their offerings. Then listen, he gives a list. Here's a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, bronze, money in other words. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat hair for cloth. By the way, last Sunday on Commitment Sunday, we got no goat hair. I don't know if our church is holding back or or what's going on, but we got no goat hair. I'm just saying. We didn't get any goat hair. But anyway, that's on the list here. Goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins, fine goat skin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod, and the priest's chest piece. In other words, God said let's let's prepare ourselves spiritually and then we're going to sacrifice financially and materially and then what happens next? Why are we doing all this? Very next verse, after what I just read. Very next verse, Exodus 25, 8. Then have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. The whole point of this whole little season in the Israelite nation's life Is so that they can prepare themselves spiritually, prepare themselves financially for God to have a place that is set aside for Him to meet with the people and for the people to meet with Him. Does any of this sound familiar to you? What have we literally just done as a church? We prepared ourselves spiritually, we gave sacrificially. And now God is going to call us to that next step, which is looking for that place that's going to be set aside for him so that we can meet with him corporately as a body of faith, as the body of Christ. Now, we've just done all this stuff, right? This is exactly where we're at. But the truth is that it would feel like, and sometimes it feels like that to me, on Monday and Tuesday after the Commitment Sunday, it was almost like a little disorienting. Right? I'm like, I don't have a spiritual guidebook to read. Pastor Nick, I need you to work on something for me. Give me another devotional. Like, let's go. Did anybody feel that way? I was kind of like, uh, okay, Monday morning, I'm like, well, uh, what do I do now? You know? I mean, I know I've been through this, I've walked through devotions before, but I was just kind of like, that's what I've done for 21 days. Now what? You know? And then my phone went off that afternoon. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to pray. I don't know if anybody else is going to be praying with me. Oh, that's kind of sad. I prayed anyway. Felt a little lonely. I was like, I don't know. I hope my church is doing this. I don't know. I mean, that's how I felt. Right? And so it feels weird. Like we came down off the mountaintop experience and it's like, it feels different. But here's the truth. God didn't promise to show up and to be present in your life just during the yes campaign at Northridge Church. God didn't say, oh, Northridge Church is done with their campaign. Okay, I'm going somewhere else for a while. That's not his promise. His promise, of course, to us is, I am there. I'm always there. I'm there every single day. I'm there 24-7, 365, and one-fourth days because that's how God created the earth that's been right? And and rotate in orbit. Like, God says, I'm there all the time. I'm faithful. The question is, what's our promise back? Because it's a two-way street. So let me try to illustrate this. So uh, Laura and I and our three kids, we have this thing that we do every year. We fill out March Madness brackets. Just curious, how many of you fill out March Madness brackets when the the tournament hits? Okay, all right. Quite a few of you, probably more than not. More than half of you do, okay. In our family, we love to do that. Now, this this has been a little bit of a ploy for Dad because I love to watch March Madness. And what I want to do is I want to get the rest of my family into watching March Madness so that I don't have to compete with Disney Plus or Hallmark or whatever other dumb things we might decide to do instead of March Madness, right? Okay, I shouldn't have said dumb, but you get it, all right? And so we do this bracket thing. We fill out the brackets, and then the, the promise that Laura and I have made to each other and to our kids is this whoever wins the March Madness bracket challenge, we pick a special night and we're going to go out to dinner and whoever won the bracket challenge gets to choose where we go. Within reason, of course, like we're not, I'd like to fly to Thailand. I've heard of this place over there. Like we're not doing that. Within reason, but within reason, mom and dad have promised we'll say yes. So even if it's evil Chuck E. Cheese or one of the more evil places on the planet, as we all know. Whatever that is, we're going to say yes. We've made a promise. Like, if you win the bracket challenge, you, we promise we'll say yes. Whatever that is, within reason. And we have over the last several years. Now, here's the key. If we make this promise to our family and Laura and I to each other, like, we say yes to this. This is the promise. Here's the key. Our kids and Laura and I, we have to make a promise back, don't we? Otherwise, the promise doesn't do any good. What has to happen? The promise has to be accepted by doing two things. You have to fill out your own bracket. Even my nine-year-old. Nope, we're not messing with it. You write your own stuff in. Like, it's your deal. This is your bracket. You're making your choices, right? And we've explained the seeding like one is really good. 16, more than likely is going to lose. Happened one time. So probably don't pick the 16 seed. Like, we've helped them out with some of that. But you fill out your own bracket, and you have to fill it out before the tournament starts. This is the promise that you have to return. Otherwise, the promise is null and void. It's not, And understand, it's not because Laura and I want to, like, uh, our promise isn't good for you. No. You just didn't hold up your end of the promise. You didn't fill out a bracket. Therefore, the promise is null and void. You have to accept it. You have to return to it. The same is true for a contract, right? If two companies are signing a contract or two people are signing a contract, what has to happen? At the end of the contract, what what do you have? You have two signatures, don't you? Because it's a promise between two people. And so somebody has to sign the contract first, but the contract does not take effect until what happens? Until the second person signs. The promise has to be offered and it has to be accepted the same is true with God. The same is true with God. God makes a promise. He says, I am going to be there for you. I am faithful. I am there. I love you. I am sacrificing for you. But then God says, now what is your promise back? What, what, what kind of a faithfulness are you going to kind of return to me? Because I'm a promise that God already signed the contract. It's done for you to be with him. It's, it was already, it's already signed. It's been there the whole time. God offers you the contract. He says, it's already signed. I'm already in. You and I, we're already good. All you have to do is sign. All you, do, all you have to do is believe that I'm real. Believe that I died on the cross for you. Just believe it. If you believe it, sign your name. Commit. Say yes. God makes a promise to us, but it has to be returned. Now, why do I say all that? Here's why. So the Israelites, just like us, have been on a mountaintop experience. Miracles all over the place. God moving, God working, wow. Parting the Red Sea, manna from heaven, water from a rock, freedom from slavery. God, you are awesome. I mean, we are on quite a journey together. We just came off one of those as a church. Yeah, the Yes Journey, it was amazing. But then what happened? Some of you know the story, don't you? What happened? Well, Moses stayed on the mountain for quite a long time. Days, in fact. Days and days. He was up on the mountain. And the people down at the base of the mountain, they started to get a little restless. They're kind of like, uh, we haven't heard from God in a while. In fact, we haven't heard from Moses in a while. I'm not sure. He may have like, he might be dead on the mountain. Literally, they're saying this thing. Like, You can look this up in Exodus. They're like, uh, he may have died up there. I don't. I'm not even sure if Moses is around anymore, and so they start getting restless. They're like, "We haven't heard from God. We we haven't seen a miracle. There's no water coming out of the rock anymore. What are we supposed to do?" They're starting to freak out a little bit, and so you know what they do? They go to the second guy in command. He's kind of like Moses's right hand man. His name is Aaron, and the people go to Aaron and they say, "Hey, Aaron. Um, So we've been thinking. We think Moses might be dead." We haven't seen him in several days. He's up on the mountain somewhere. Uh, we haven't heard from God. And so here's what we'd like to do. Can you make us an idol to worship? Because we really, we need something to happen here. We're, we're getting a little worried. We haven't heard from God. And so we need, to, we need to like create a God or something. We need an idol to worship. Now, here's my question. Why would the Israelites ask Aaron after everything that God had done why would the Israelites ask Aaron to make an idol a lifeless dead thing to worship why would God why would they ask you know Aaron to do this here's the reason because the people were so in love with all of the miracles that God did they wanted to see that again and instead of waiting for God to do it they wanted to create it. They wanted to manufacture it themselves. They didn't want God's power to do it. They wanted to do it. it wanted to, they wanted it in their timing, and they wanted it in their way. And so they wanted an idol to be created because they were trying to manufacture God's power. And so you know what Aaron did? Aaron caved in. He caved. He said, okay, listen, they must have been pressuring him a lot. I don't know. Maybe they even threatened him. Who knows? But they pressured Aaron, and so Aaron said, okay, listen, bring all your gold items to me. And they did, all the people, and they melted all that gold down, and Aaron, it says, you can read all this in Exodus, they crafted a golden calf, made like a golden calf, set it on an altar, kind of like a pedestal, and you know what the people began to do? They began to worship it. The Israelites began to worship this golden idol. They started sacrificing to it. They started worshiping it. They started dancing around and doing a bunch of other stuff that would be a little blushing to talk about. And they start kind of just giving themselves to all kinds of stuff that God is definitely not okay with. And they start worshiping this idol. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think God knew that this was happening? The right answer is yes. God knows everything. He he knows everything, right? He knows everything we do, everything we say, everything we even think. God knows. Now, that might be creepy to you, but it's true. God knows. And so God and Moses, Moses was not dead on the mountain. He was still talking to God. And so God says something to Moses in this moment. I want to read for you what God says. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 32. I've jumped forward a few chapters. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Now, listen to what God says. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. That's one of those moments where it'd be kind of interesting to see Moses' face. You know? Like, would he have been mad? Would he have been crying? Would he have been like come on, Aaron, I give you one job to do, right? I'm talking with God on the mountain. I give you one thing to do, right? I don't know what Moses did, but Moses clearly was upset. God was clearly upset. And he's like, and and did you notice what he said? He said, how quickly have they turned away from what I asked them to do? How quickly they just gave it all up. They abandoned it. And the question I have for you is, why did the Israelites abandon it so quickly? Well, we could give a lot of answers to that question, but I want to give you one. I want to give you one answer. It's a simple answer. It's a practical answer, but it's one that we all deal with. And that word is habits. Mm, We love habits, don't we? Some good some bad. No, you don't like habits? That's okay. You don't have to like habits. Habits are one of those things that are difficult for us, isn't it? Right? They're difficult for us. Now, we don't like to, here's the truth, we don't like to be called out for our own habits, but we call everybody else on their habits. I am really good at calling out my kids' habits, but when they tell me about my habits, I'm like, oh yeah, well, that's different. Why? Because I'm dad that that doesn't really work right we all know that we don't like to be called on our own habits but we can call other people on their habits but this is the truth think about the israelites they've just come off this mountaintop experience but then they didn't hear from god for a handful of days and they get restless and they return immediately to what they know you know what they knew where did they just come from what was the nation that they just freed slavery from egypt You know what Egypt was? Their normal mode when they ran into problems, when they ran into things, you know what they did? They had a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses, right? We see these in hieroglyphics. We can look, we can literally go to Egypt today and you can see these painted all over the place. They had gods and goddesses for everything. What are the Israelites used to? They're used to bowing down and sacrificing and worshiping idols and images like this. And so when they didn't hear from God, you know what they did? They went back to their old habits. They just went back to their old habits. That's why they did it. Because it was a habit. For generations, they've been surrounded by Egyptian gods and goddesses and people worshiping idols that they've created out of material goods. And people sacrifice and worship those things. This whole God, one true God that did all those miracles, they quickly forgot about that and they returned to their habits. Now, here's the truth. You and I, and I would love to admit this, uh, I would love to say I'd be honest about this, we'd like to think our willpower is better and bigger and more stronger than habits. That's what we'd like to think. But the truth is, our habits are pretty powerful, aren't they? I love what, I wouldn't say I love, it's probably important that I read this out of a book, but Pastor John Ortberg says this. He says, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Let's be honest, it's true. Why do I always go to the bowl of ice cream? My willpower says I shouldn't. My habits say, "Mmm, it's good. I mean, that's just the truth. My habits tend to eat my willpower for breakfast. Absolutely. Um, for example, by the way, we as human beings, we know this. Have you ever heard, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? How many have ever heard that? You know why we say that? Habits are hard to break. Have you ever heard this? Old habits die hard. Have you ever heard that? You know why? Because it's true. Old habits die hard. We all know this is true. We have phrases to describe this. We know that habits need to change, but they're so hard to change. Good habits are good. Some of you are like, yeah, but what about the good habits? Well, How many good habits do you have? I have a few. I mean, I would love to focus all my life on that and be like, well, I have a few good habits. And God says, yeah, but you have about 40 other bad ones. Okay, that's true. Good habits are good. We should keep those, but bad habits are bad. They need to go. So here, why do I bring this up? Here's why. We've just come off of 21 days where we fasted Where we prayed, where we started some really good new habits, and we stopped some really bad ones. I know, because you guys wrote down on your commitments, this is what I'm going to do. And you gave up some good things, and you added some great things in. I did too. And the truth is, we have all these new habits for 21 days, but my question to you is, how are those habits going now? One week later. Can I tell you what I was tempted to do last Sunday? I shared this with, I don't know, a couple of other people. I cringe when I get ready to share these things. I don't want people to know. But this was a thought that I had. Uh, And I had this thought all the whole week leading up to Commitment Sunday. You know, I committed for 21 days. And so I felt like after Commitment Sunday, like after the services, maybe I could go back to eating like normal because I really wanted to. And I was like, only my family would know right? And, and Sunday night is cereal night for me. I, I've given up cereal all the other days of the week now. I did that a few years ago. But Sunday night for me, and some of you are like, that's gross. Like, well, you're so weird. No, no, no. What it is, is I love sugar. And I don't eat like bran flakes. Cereal. I'm talking Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, Frosted Flakes, like bring it on. And I, and I do a big bowl, right? I mean, I'm not well, not this, you know. Like I just do a little bit deeper bowl, you know. And I'm like, mmm, cereal. I was really tempted on Sunday night to have some cereal because I've longed for it for weeks. But I knew, I knew that God was saying, "You committed 21 days." I'm not saying that for you guys. If you guys like gave it up on Sunday, I'm not saying that's evil. I'm saying for me, I know what God was saying to me. God said different things to you. That's good. For me, I knew that was going to be wrong. And so Monday morning, I really enjoyed myself. Monday at lunch, I'll say, I really enjoyed myself. My banana, normal for breakfast. But the truth is that habits are huge, both good and bad. And there's this theory out there. I don't. I don't. It's just a theory. It's not been proven. Although there is evidence to back some of this up, but it's out there in psychology and business world, and it's called the 2190. Uh, the 2190 is very simply this: 21 days is what it takes to start a new habit. Sound familiar? We just did that. But then it takes 90 more days. Not 90 included with the 21. 90 additional days to make that habit stick and ingrain in your life long term 21 days to start a new habit 90 days to get it ingrained in your life so here's my thought over the last 21 days we started some new habits and we got rid of some bad habits how you doing on those 21 days is a good way to start but at least 90 days to make it stick. So for me, uh, I heard some of you fasted, like I heard somebody yesterday say they fasted from, uh, some, from basically negative news. Okay? Um, which, is, which is a big step. Um, and, and I know this person just shared how light he felt. And that he hasn't gone back to that yet after the 21 days. He's continuing. Because he felt a lightness that he had not felt before in a while. I knew that I couldn't give up, you know, there were certain things that I thought about giving up that wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice. And so for me, I think you've picked this up. I love food, including cereal. (laughs) And so I knew that fasting food for me was what I had to do. And so I fasted food, but I'll be honest. On Monday, I told you I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed myself a little too much. Uh, TMI, I spent a little more time in the restroom on Monday night than I probably should have. Because I went slightly over. I didn't even eat normally what I normally would have eaten before the 21 days. I just went a little bit more. Like I had some cheese, I had a little bit of meat. I was like, mmm, man, this is so good. And my stomach and my body went, whoa, stop, slow down. What are you doing? But the truth is I have kept some of those fasting tendencies there's no way I can maintain that physically but physically mentally spiritually it was amazing for me you know what happened for me fasting from food I was hungry all the time not like all the time throughout the day but uh for a few seconds I'd be like oh man I'm so hungry and every time I was hungry you know what my thought was I'm doing this for God that was my thought every time it was not like I'm doing this for God It was just a quick, I'm doing this for God. I thought about God more in the last three weeks than I have my entire life. And I think about God fairly often. It's a good habit. So here's my question for all of you today. I'll just leave you with this. We've just come off this mountaintop experience. It is very easy to go back to normal life and live normal life. You know what I'm saying? It's really easy to go back and be like, man, that was so good, but I don't have time to write in a journal anymore. I don't have time to pray at 316 anymore. That was awkward. Some of you teenagers, you prayed in your Spanish class. Good job, guys. They did. There were like four of them that were in the same Spanish class at 316, and uh, and we joked with them. We said, hey, you can each take a corner of the room and like put your hands out and pray for the whole class and the teacher and everything. They didn't do that. I hear you. I I don't know that I would have either. But they prayed quietly like we asked them, hey, did you pray for... Yeah, sometimes we did. Yeah, when we remembered in the middle of class. There are some habits that you guys started and some habits that you guys quit that you need to keep. Doing or quitting. 21 days to start. 90 days to ingrain it. What habit do you need to keep going? What habit do you need to get rid of for good? See, God has made a promise to you. I'm with you. I'm there. The question is, what's your promise back to God? God doesn't stop working because the yes campaign is over. God is still here. God is still faithful. He's still working. The question is, what's our promise going to be to him? What's that habit that you need to keep? or that needs to go away. Let's not do what the Israelites did. Don't return to your idols. Don't return to that social media platform that makes you feel like junk. Don't return to the alcohol or the drugs or whatever it is. Don't return to the things that definitely keeps you away from God, keeps you at arm's length from God. Don't return to those. Keep those out of your life. Add in the habits that are going to bring you closer and closer and closer to God. God's got the contract. He just is asking you, will you sign? Are you willing to sign? Let's get off the mountain really well. Because you know what I believe? Even though the Yes campaign is done, although next Sunday is going to be awesome, and revealing what God did, I believe the best is yet to come. I truly do. And I'm getting excited about that. What's your promise going to be? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we have just had this amazing experience. You did some amazing things in people's lives. and, and um, It's just been really, really cool to hear all the ways that people have said yes to you and the ways that you have asked them to to say yes to you and sacrifice and the habits and the different things that were put into our into our life. But God it would be easy for us to go the way of the Israelites. To all of a sudden just return to the social media platform that that tends to consume so much of our time. It'd be easy to return to the to the foods that make us feel kind of rotten, but man, we love to, love to do it. God, it would be easy to set aside prayer. 316 in the afternoon is really sometimes right in the middle of business and meetings and everything else that's going on or picking the kids up from school. It'd be really easy just to set that aside. Maybe we need to change the time a little bit, but we need to keep it going. God, whatever the habits are, whatever you're calling us to do and to be after the mountain, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to enjoy and look at the mountain, see the tokens, see everything that God has done. And maybe there's still more commitments to be made. I'm sure there are. But God, right now, we need to remember that just because we're not going through a spiritual journey or, or asking how is God asking us to say yes? Just because we're not doing that anymore doesn't mean that your promise is now null and void, that you've, that you've pulled back the contract from us. And so help us to say yes. Every day, every week, leaning in to what you're asking us to do. We pray this, and we ask this all in your name, Jesus.